elevator pitch for what God was like. 
Sometimes in business, they tell you to develop a 30-second explanation of your business plan or your big idea so that if you just happen to step into an elevator with the CEO or the vice president, you can share with them quickly before they get off at the next floor what your idea is about. If someone asked you to, to share an elevator pitch about the character and the nature of God, what would you say? If you had 30 seconds to sum up this gigantic cosmic being that we call God, what would you say? It'd be pretty overwhelming if you only had 30 seconds to try to sum up Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus revealed to us. We've spent the last six weeks fleshing out who God is, what he is like, what his character and nature and behavior look like. And I thought it would be a good idea as we come to the end of the series here in the next few weeks to talk about the simplest, easiest way to sum up God and what he is like quickly. And the best way to do that is God is love. Now that seems really, really simple, but there's an incredible amount of depth in that little three word sentence. And in a few minutes, we're going to dive into 1 John 4. And over again, over and over again in 1 John 4, John, the apostle says this, God is love. And then he fleshes out all these great details and all this great meaning as a result. John was the last living apostle. All the others had been killed for saying Jesus came back from the dead. And uh, he sums up his experience with Jesus after all these years. He's now an old man and he sums it all up like this. God is love. Now, this doesn't mean love is God. Love doesn't determine reality, but God always acts out of and acts on behalf of and because of love. If love is God, then love gets to define God. But if God is love, God gets to define what love looks like. Now, sometimes at weddings, if you've been to a Christian wedding or a religious wedding, sometimes they'll read out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's sometimes called the love chapter of the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it goes on and on about all the great attributes of someone who loves. It says love is patient and kind and long-suffering. It does not envy. It does not boast. And every time I hear that, I think of how far short I fall of actually, truly exemplifying love. I love Darby. But I, far, I fall far short of looking like a 1 Corinthians 13 lover. But I think 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just about making us feel like we're inadequate when it comes to love. I think if God is love, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually revealing something about who Yahweh is and what he's like and how he behaves towards us. I think if we read it as Yahweh is these things because Yahweh is love, it would change how we read that chapter. Let's just read it real quickly, a couple verses from 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to put in the name Yahweh instead of the word love. Yahweh is patient. Yahweh is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Yahweh does not delight in evil, but he always rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. Yahweh never fails. 
God is love. And that is the God that Jesus revealed to us. This is the God that we serve in the Christian faith. This is how a God of love acts and reacts, how he behaves. And so this is why John can sum up this gigantic person that we call God, this Trinitarian community of love. This is why he can sum it all up and say, God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a primer on the way that Yahweh behaves. And so we can sum all this up by the simple sentence, the elevator pitch for God, if you were, and say, God is love. Yahweh is love. Jesus is love. Now, the Apostle John, who wrote the uh, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Letters to the Churches, and then the Book of Revelation, um, he would often refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And when he was writing his letters, he would often use this term for the people reading his letters. He would say, beloved, you should behave like this. Beloved, I'm praying this for you. John was someone who saw the world in every aspect of his life through the lens of love. He was the last living apostle, and he's had 40 to 50 years now to think and to practice the ways of Jesus. And after all this time, he comes to the summation of everything that he's seen, everything that he's experienced, everything that he's learned from walking in the ways of Jesus for 40 or 50 years now. And uh, he sums it all up by saying, God is love. Let's look at what he writes in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates their brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who do, does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. As John says it over and over again in this passage, God is love. After spending 40 years emulating the way Jesus lived and loved, he's become confident that this is the best elevator pitch for God. What he is like, how he behaves, who he is. God is 
love. The modus operandi of God is love. His standard operating procedure is love. Everything flows out of in an abundance of love. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Trinity created because they lived in a community of love and they wanted to share that love with more beings. Everything that God does is based on love. He doesn't take any action that wasn't motivated by love. He doesn't speak unless it's motivated by love. He doesn't move unless it's in response to love. This profoundly changes the way that you think about God. God doesn't act in your life. He doesn't act in your world unless it's an expression of love. God takes no actions, no steps, no efforts, unless love is the motivating factor. Many times we imagine a God who is angry with us, who wants to punish us, a God who is motivated by vengeance. No, we have a God, we serve a God who does nothing except actions out of love. And John says here that we know that God has loved us because he sent his son into the world, not to punish us, not to destroy us, but instead to die for us. In John 3, 16 through 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It wasn't an angry God coming to condemn you. It was a loving God coming to save you. It doesn't say that God hated the world, but then Jesus came and died, and so now God loves the world. No, love existed before we loved God. God loved us so much that he came and died so that we might love him. Love is the driving force, the key factor, the catalyst for everything that God does. Love is the key factor to every way that God interacts with you in your life. God doesn't want to punish you or torture you. He loves you. He wants your best because he loves you. Sometimes we look at the pain in our lives and we blame God for that. Or we look at the evil in the world and we blame God for that. But I've developed a simple filter about how to look at the things in my life and how to look at the things in the world. And I say, does it look like this came from a place of love? If no, it didn't come from God. Because God simply ceases to be who he is if he does something that's not motivated by love. If he takes an action, if God is love and he takes an action that is not love, then he is no longer God. He simply ceases to be who he is. By definition, God has to act out of and because of his love. Love is the filter through which I view everything that Yahweh does. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes Yahweh doesn't say no. I remember being a kid and I really, really wanted something. And Darby can tell you when I really want something, I obsess over it and talk about it and ask for it constantly until I get it. And so sometimes she's like, just buy it so I can stop hearing about it. And I'm like, yes, my plan worked. I wore her down with my constant obsession with this uh, thing that I want. And uh, when I was a kid, I was the same way. And I'd want something and I'd ask for it and I'd ask for it and I'd ask for it. And my parents would sometimes say, no. 
They didn't do that because they didn't love me. They did that because they knew that if they bought me the flamethrower I kept asking for, I would burn the house down and burn the neighborhood down and end up in uh, probably a prison for children, right? They, they said no because they loved me. And there are times when Yahweh will say no to you and you'll feel like it's because he hates you, but it's actually because he loves you. Because he has a better sense of the big picture. He's saying no out of love, not out of hate. I remember sometimes my parents would tell me no, and I'd say, you hate me. But they didn't hate me. They bought me food every day. They provided for me a house to live. They helped me with my homework. They spent time with me. They put up with me when I was whiny and sick and bad. They loved me. And sometimes a loving being says no. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord is going to restrict you, to teach you, to mature you, to help you to grow. And he corrects everyone he accepts as his child. Sometimes I hear people say this, God loves you exactly as you are. That is so true. Because God is love, he loves you even when you don't love him. But I think that's an incomplete statement to just think of God loving you exactly as you are because it seems to excuse how you are now. God loves you too much to let you stay as you are. His love for you longs for you to become the best you you can become, a you that lives and loves like Jesus. His love is going to guide you to live and love like Jesus did because Jesus lived the greatest human life anyone has ever lived. I love verse 17 in this uh this passage we just read. In this, love is made complete. It's made full. We can have confidence about the day we stand before God because as Jesus is, so we have become in this world. By becoming students of Jesus, we are beginning to live and love like God did. And God will sometimes say no. He'll sometimes restrict you in order to help you mature and grow in your love. If our God is love, we should love others. That's what John talks about in this passage a great deal. He goes on and he says, if you love God, or so you say, and yet you hate your neighbor, you hate your brother, you hate your sister, you don't really love God. Our idea of what God is like ends up affecting who we become. We've been talking about that all through this series. A wrong idea about God leads us to become the wrong kind of people. We can be a person who uses a lot of religious words, but is vicious and controlling or constantly complaining. A person who hates instead of loves. We can say all the right Christian things and have all the right religious answers, but if we have the wrong view of God, not as a loving God, but as some other type of God, it will lead to us interacting with people in the wrong way. We won't love people. John argues that if there is another human we cannot love, it reveals a major issue with the idea, the mental image we have of what Yahweh is like. He says, you have the wrong view of God. You have the wrong idea about God. You're worshiping the wrong God if there's somebody you hate, if there's somebody you can't love. A mark of being a student of Jesus Christ is that year after year, we are becoming people of love. We're becoming more loving, capable of greater expressions of love to people who are harder and harder to love. John goes so far 
as to say that hate reveals a heart that has never encountered Jesus. He says, you do not know God if you do not love your brother or sister. Because Jesus taught us to live and love like him, and Jesus loved his enemies. He loved those who were crucifying him. He loved those who were taunting him. He loved those who were um, rejecting him. In Luke 6.32, Jesus said this when he was teaching his disciples. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? What's the big deal? He says everybody does that. He says the worst people in society love those who love them. But if you love your enemies, then you're now loving like your father in heaven. See, it's easy to love the people who love us, the people who like us, the people who are like us. It's hard to love the people who hate you, the people who betray you, the people who talk about you behind your back, the people who misuse you or speak ill about you. Loving those people takes a supernatural love that you can't find in yourself, that you'll only find by embracing the ways of Jesus, by becoming a student of the way that he lived and loved. He will give you the supernatural strength, his Holy Spirit, to enable you to love those that seem impossible to love. We need a love from outside of ourselves, a love from God, a divine love in order to love people who don't love us. Love longs for the good of the person who hurt you. Love longs for good to come to those who speak ill of you. Love longs for good to happen to those who have mistreated you. So you say, Alex, how do we love someone that we hate? We want to have a right view of God. We want to love like he loved. So how do we do that? First of all, I think anytime I hate someone, it's a, um, it's a warning light. It's, it's letting me know that not only do I have a wrong view of what God is like, but I've probably stopped practicing the ways of Jesus, simplicity and Sabbath, meditating on scripture and prayer and fasting, practicing these ways of life that Jesus lived. But also, I think there's some practical things we can put into place to begin to love people that we hate. C.S. Lewis said, behave as if you love someone and eventually you'll find that you love them. And so I think there's three simple things you can do if there's someone in your life right now that you hate that you're just like, this person hurts me and hurts people that I love and I hate them. Number one, begin to pray for their good. Each day, start each day, not for praying for yourself, but for praying for them. Pray that good things happen to them and not bad things. Don't pray, God, I pray that you just smash them and help them to see where they're wrong and help them to apologize. No, pray for them to be successful. Pray for them to be blessed. Pray to, for their lives to be full of joy and peace. Pray for good things to happen to them. What I find is as I start praying for people, after a certain point, I can begin to seek their well-being. Now, this might be doing something small where you say, this benefits them and they'll never know that I did it. But it's something small that I can do and I can cover for them. Maybe it's at work and you know that they missed something and instead of bringing it up and getting vengeance on your enemy, you just take care of it and they never know that you did it. But it's a small act of seeking their well-being. You've been praying for their good. Now you start to do small things for their good. And then finally, give them something good with no strings attached. When we give gifts, it knits our heart to someone. It helps us fall in love with someone. Now, we think getting gifts would make us love people, but that's not how humans work. For some reason, when you give a gift, 
your heart explodes with love towards the person you're giving a gift towards. And at, just as we've seen God's heart explode with love as he offers himself, his son, to us, our hearts explode with love when we give something good with no strings attached to our enemies. The last thing that John talks about in this passage is that love is bigger than fear. He says there's no fear in love. If we're experiencing fear, it's because we have an incomplete view of God. Because having an accurate picture of the love of Yahweh, the love of Jesus, who laid down his life for us, should give us confidence against fear. Having an accurate picture of the love of God allows us to process fear without being overwhelmed by fear. John is telling us that fear is a spiritual warning light on the dashboard of your life telling you you have a bad view of God. You have an incomplete view of God. You have the wrong view of what God is like and who he is. It is telling us when we're afraid, when we're captured by fear, it's telling us that we have a view of God that is not loving. We have a picture of God that does not say God is love. If God is with us and for us, who could be against us? What virus could be against us? What nation could be against us? What economy could be against us? What fear could hold us? What could we fear if God, Yahweh, who created everything with a word, loved us and was for us and was willing to die for us? This clear picture of God's love allows us to face fear and not be ruled by fear. Because we recognize that the universe is actually poised to benefit us because a kind and loving God with unlimited abundance, abundance calls us his children, his sons and his daughters. Now, when I was growing up in Tennessee, rednecks in trucks with giant oversized wheels would, also, uh, would often pass my family's small minivan on blind curves on these back roads of windy Tennessee. And um, every time a big truck with oversized wheels and mud splatters on it would pass us, they would all have the same bumper sticker on the back and it would say, no fear. And my dad, in typical dad joke fashion, he would often say something like this. Yeah, no fear, no brains either. And we would all chuckle in the car, even though he had said it a thousand times. John isn't suggesting that we live a fearless life in the sense that we live without brains. He's not saying that we say, well, you know what? I'm not going to wash my hands anymore because no fear, because God is love. He's saying that we exercise wisdom, but we don't allow fear to control our minds and our hearts and our emotions. He says having a proper view of God's love won't make you stupid, but he said will make you free from the control of fear and worry. He isn't suggesting that we put our heads in the sand and deny reality. He's suggesting that we look up to the real life challenges in our world and that we don't stop there. We keep looking up higher and higher to the benevolent, benevolent, loving God who is smiling down on us. Our fears are small next to the massive size of Yahweh's love for us, his children. A love so big that he would gladly lay down his own life. He would gladly drink the dregs of sin and death so that we might become like him, people of love. So as we come to the end, what do we do with this? First of all, I think that we should filter everything that happens in our life and every idea and comment that we hear about God 
through a filter, through a lens of love. Does this look like the behavior of a being of love? If not, it can't be from God because God is love. Is this thing that someone's saying about God sound like something that a being of love would do? If not, it's not God. Number two, love everybody. If there's somebody that you don't love, begin taking steps to love them today. Because being a student of Jesus means loving your enemies. And perhaps one of the best ways to grow and mature as a student and apprentice of the ways of Jesus is to begin to love that person that for so long you have hated. And finally, overcome fear by leaning into love. Maybe you need to go to the Gospels, these biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just begin to read about what Jesus was like, how he is a being, a person of love. And have your mind renewed and refreshed because a wrong picture of God will lead to a heart controlled by fears, a head controlled by fears. But a right picture of God will show you a God who is with you and for you and in love with you. And the Bible is not just a place where we go to get information about God. It's a place where I believe you can have a divine encounter with God. And so as you open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, might I suggest that you just start with a simple prayer? Jesus, if you are real, if you are a God of love, will you meet me in these pages as I read today? Will you renew my mind and show me what a God of love looks like, what a God of love speaks like, what a God of love acts like? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a God who is good. You are a God of love, not a God of anger or hate or judgment or fear. God, I pray that you will help us to become people of love, that we will be growing in love as we become apprentices of your way of life. Lord, I pray that you will take away our fear by recapturing our imagination with your goodness. Remind us of your power, but more importantly, remind us of your love. And Lord, I pray above all that we will filter everything we hear about God, everything we say about God, everything that we experience that might be from you, through a lens of love. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen. Thanks for watching today. If you're bored at home, like we are, and so we do crazy things, we have a fun game for you this week. If you watch this sermon and count how many times Alex said, God is love, and send us a message, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Um, so send us your numbers and your tallies of what you, how many times you think Alex said that. A challenge we want to send to you this week is, you know, we're all in our house trying to keep social distancing and we can't meet as a church, but that doesn't mean we can't still be the church. And so we want you to reach out to three people, either in your neighborhood, just friends, even in the church, um, and just check in on people and see how they're doing. We want to keep connected in this time. If you need people's contact information, let us know and we can get that to you. Um, if you'd like to give to support the work of Horizon Community Church and all that we're doing in this time, 
um, just to still serve people and show the love of Jesus. You can give online at horizonphilly.com backslash give, or we also have a Venmo at Horizon Philly, I think is the same. Um, our online service is going to continue next week, and there's still no small groups physically meeting, but last week we had an awesome Zoom call where a few of us got on and just got together, shared our hearts, and we prayed together, and it was a great way to stay connected. We're going to have another one of those this Wednesday at 7 p.m., so if you want that information, it'll be in the weekly email, but if you don't get it, just let us know, and we can also send that to you. If you want to connect with us, you can send us an email at connect at horizonphilly.com or you can give us a call at 484-380-5833. We hope you guys have a great week and we love you.